Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 228, Deep Space Biology. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. We're continuing episodes about the Artemis One mission. This will send Orion on an uncrewed mission around the moon, and will launch on top of the Space Launch System, or the SLS, the first launch of this rocket. We've talked a lot so far about the main objectives of this mission, both for Orion and for SLS, but there are a number of secondary missions. For the SLS, in addition to delivering the Orion into the lunar vicinity, the monster rocket will also deploy a number of nanosatellites with their own missions and objectives. One of those shoebox-sized satellites will carry life, or biological samples to be precise, specifically yeast. This is to study the effects of deep space radiation on biology, and this investigation will be NASA's first set of biology experiments to take place in deep space since the Apollo era. To discuss this investigation, called BioSentinel, we're bringing in the project scientist Sergio Santamaria from Ames Research Center in California. Originally from Lima, Peru, Sergio has a PhD in biochemistry and molecular biology. He studied radiation and the effects in astronauts at the Johnson Space Center, and he also studied how cells repair radiation damage at the American Cancer Society in New York City. He's been with the BioSentinel team since 2014, first as a scientist and then taking on the role of science lead and project scientist in 2019. So let's learn more about this experiment looking at life in deep space. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Hey, Sergio, thanks for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Uh, thank you, Gary. I'm glad to be here. Very good. Um, you are the project scientist for a super cool uh, experiment called BioSentinel, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. First, though, I want to understand what a project scientist does. If you're looking at this particular project, BioSentinel, what is your role specifically? BioSentinel is a particular project in that uh, both the engineering and science is run at NASA Ames uh, Research Center. So my role as a project scientist is to interact with the, both the science and the engineers, uh, help engineers, support engineers, uh, as well as conduct all the scientific experiments to support the mission. Okay, and this uh, this mission that we're going to be talking about today is called BioSentinel. So high level, what exactly is this experiment all about? Uh, from the biology perspective, BioSentinel is trying to understand uh, what's going on with biology in space, what's happening to terrestrial biology uh, to help contribute to uh, how we can deal with this in future uh, crew missions with astronauts. Okay, um, so it is going to deep space, right? That's the that's the unique part about this experiment. Uh, that is correct. Uh, out of the multiple uh, secondary payloads on the Artemis One mission, uh, BioSentinel happens to be the only biology mission and uh, the only biology from NASA uh, going uh, outside of the Van Allen belts, outside of the magnetic field since the Apollo missions. Hmm. And what exactly is, uh, so, so you mentioned Artemis 1, right? What exactly is that mission what, um, that, that's playing into uh, how BioSentinel is going to actually get to deep space? 
So as probably uh, your audience knows, uh, Artemis One is part of the Artemis program from NASA. Uh, it's going to be the first uh, the first mission, a part of the program. Uh, it's not going to be crew, so no astronauts here. It's uh, the the primary objective is to test the Orion uh, multi-crew spacecraft. And as part of this uh, this launch uh, years ago, NASA realized that there was enough uh, mass and volume to carry secondary payloads. Uh, originally 13, uh, now we're going with 10 uh, secondary payloads. They're all called uh, CubeSats, which are small satellites. And uh, once Orion gets released from the uh, the rocket or the remaining part of the rocket, uh, each CubeSat is going to be uh, deployed one at a time. And with that momentum, uh, at least in the case of BioSentinel, gets uh, into this lunar orbit and then continues into its own uh, heliocentric orbit. Okay, so it, it means that at some point, the, you, you said mentioned the primary mission is really to test the SLS, the Space Launch System, the Orion, but it sounds like these uh, these payloads are being deployed at some part of the mission, and then it's going to orbit the moon and then eventually the sun, which is spectacular. Um, exactly at what point is BioSentinel going to be uh, deployed? Uh, at what point where where Orion and SLS are relative to maybe the Earth and Moon? Oh, that's a pretty good question. So they, there are a few uh, spots, I believe, where the payloads will be released. Uh, BioSentinel, uh, to the best of my understanding, is either the first or second payload coming out of the, uh, the ICPS, which is the stage underneath Orion. Uh, and and then we continue into our own orbit. Uh, it's pretty early on. I I would like to if I tell you that I know the exact time. <laughs> okay. All right. Very good. Um. And it is it is deployed. Uh, how exactly is it deployed? Is it deployed by uh, some contraption on the space launch system itself on one of the rocket stages that's actually going to be uh, quote unquote launching these cubesats? Right, so right underneath Orion, uh, it is what is called the OSA, uh, is the Orion stage adapter. It's like a like a ring, and uh, all ten uh, secondary payloads, all ten cubesats, are uh, inserted currently uh, into a dispenser. And what it pretty much happens, it's it's like a spring release. It pretty much pushes out uh, each cubesat at a time uh, with a couple seconds uh, between each other. They will never touch each other. Will neither, neither see each other again. <laughs> Now, now, when you say they, it, it's it's very interesting because when it's deployed, it goes into you said a lunar orbit and then in heliocentric orbit around the around the sun. Um, is there any propulsion that's on the CubeSat to guide it, or is the trajectory such that um, it will naturally fall into these trajectories? So the uh, BioSentinel does have a propulsion system, however, it's not going to be used for the you know your typical understanding of propulsion. Is pretty much going to be uh, continue with its own uh, momentum, so it continues into its own trajectory. Uh, the propulsion system with the BioSentinel is a cold gas uh, system, but that's more to stabilize uh, the the little spacecraft, the little satellite, because it's going to come uh, probably rotating uh, once it gets into space by its own. Uh, so uh, it, that's how the propulsion just doesn't use it uh, to to move around space. Hmm. Okay. Now we've been talking a lot about the where, uh, it, you know, exactly where and exactly how this experiment is getting to space. But let's get into the experiment itself. You talked about this being a deep space biological experiment. Uh, so let's get into what exactly makes up BioSentinel. What what exactly is being tested? What is the biology on this experiment? Right. Uh, perfect. So 
there are actually two main, uh, let's call them compartments within BioSentinel. Uh, BioSentinel is what is called a 6U CubeSat. Uh, 6U stands for six units, one unit being a small cube of 10 by 10 by 10 centimeters. Uh, this 6U CubeSat is again divided in two different sections. One is uh, the biology section, with which we call uh, the biosensor. It's a small box uh, of 4U uh, in volume. And the other remaining uh, volume is part of what is called the bus or all the spacecraft components. Uh, you, we talk about the, the, the avionics, the, uh, the solar panels, the batteries, all that is part of the bus. Uh, inside that other uh, 4U box is where we're carrying the biology. Uh, and this particular case, uh, biology is what we call batting yeast. Uh, these are uh, organisms that are used in the pharmaceutical industry and breweries uh, to produce food. It's just your standard uh, laboratory uh, uh, variation of, of yeast. Okay, and what and what exactly is interesting about yeast that that is the what what's been chosen? What what is yeast going to help you to understand about what's happening in deep space? So I, I told you that that yeast is being used uh, has been used for many 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 years uh, around the globe for for multiple reasons. One of those is in academic laboratories uh, because many of the the processes, what happens inside a human cell, are also present in these yeast cells. Uh, so overall, uh, the response, for example, to radiation, in this case, space radiation, uh, is similar in yeast than, than in humans. So we can capture that information using these small uh, microbiology organisms to understand what could happen uh, in human cells later. So it's it's what is called a, a, a model biological organism. Okay, and so so really, the goals here you're you're sending you're sending yeast in a little shoebox around around space, and the goal here is the reason that you're doing that is the unique radiation environment of deep space. Now it sounds like that's something you want to study. You want to study radiation and yeast. Just exactly what are you looking at? Um, uh, in the yeast to, to study radiation? So, uh, right, in uh, the, the scientific objective of BioSentinel uh, is to understand the response to space radiation, uh, which outside of the uh, magnetic field, which is where once you go outside of the Earth-Moon system, is composed primarily of two uh, radiation types. One is the what is called the solar protons uh, that come from the, from the sun, and of course the galactic cosmic radiation that comes from uh, the, the universe in general. Uh, so what we're trying to understand is how do these different uh, radiation particles affect the biology, affect, affect the yeast, and how the yeast is able to uh, perhaps repair that damage caused by radiation over the course of the 6 to 12 month mission. Okay, that's pretty important, uh, the, the duration of the experiment as well. Okay, so you're measuring radiation and exactly what what sensors, what equipment is on the CubeSat to allow you to um, understand the radiation environment and understand the DNA repair uh, sequences that are happening inside the yeast? What What's the technology you're using to measure that? Right, so I, I, I told you that uh, yeast is a very important uh, organism because it's used all around the globe. Uh, it can mm -hmm. it can replicate some of the conditions in human cells. Uh, a second very, very important aspect of why we use this particular uh, batting yeast, this organism, is because we can dry it. I mean, you can find your 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 food yeast in the market uh, to make bread or, or, or whatever you want to make. 
so we can drive these guys inside what we call uh, microfluidic cars, microfluidic cassettes. So we have the yeast dry inside these uh, these little compartments inside these uh, microfluidic cards, uh, and then we actually inject inside these cards uh, nutrients and also what we call a dye, uh, a so-called viability or metabolic dye. So what happens is uh, the more radiation the biology experiences, the more damage the biology the G cells experience. Uh, the longer they will take to grow, obviously, just, just based on the amount of damage. Uh, but also this dye uh, changes color when the cells become active. So we can do a, a pretty precise follow-up of how the cells respond to radiation over the course of the mission. So we can try to estimate the amount of damage and how long they take to fix that, that damage. Uh, something else very important about this mission, besides the biology per se, is that right next to the, the 4U biosensor box, we have what is called uh, an LED spectrometer, which is pretty much a dosimeter, which was uh, designed and developed at the Johnson Space Center by the Radworks team. It's a time peaks based chip uh, that allows to characterize uh, the type of radiation hitting the, the payload, but also the amount of radiation. So now we have uh, biology responding to radiation and a quantification of the amount and type of radiation hitting the biology. So it's a, it's a pretty, uh, I would say, pretty cool, complete system there. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty important to to understand, right? If you're if you want to understand what's happening to the biology and how radiation is affecting the biology, you also want to understand the radiation itself and help to characterize that. And that makes that makes certainly a lot of sense. I want to go back to the um, how how the yeast is on the uh, the CubeSat though. You, you mentioned cassettes and you mentioned these fluids, um, and and this is a biological experiment. So I wonder beyond beyond that that uh, you you called it a cassette. The way that the yeast is carried inside the the CubeSat um, is that really all it all you need to help to uh, understand what's happening to the yeast, or is there maybe some uh, we'll call it we'll call it an, a life support system, right? Some some way that the organism can can live and breathe to allow the DNA repair sequence, or or does it really does yeast in this case really not need that, and it's really just the the fluid and the cassettes that's that's really all that's needed for the for the yeast to to do what it needs to do. So you just got into the most complicated part of of both uh, biological missions, which is the temperature control. Uh, uh -huh. We need uh, to keep the biology, uh, when, the, when the cells are dry, uh, the biology stays pretty much uh, at, a, at your refrigerator type of temperature, which is approximately 4 uh, Celsius degrees. However, when we grow them, when we inject the nutrients into these fluidic cassettes or cards, we increase the temperature to approximately uh, ambient temperature, which is around 23 uh, Celsius degrees. So the, the whole system uh, carries multiple uh, heaters uh, to maintain either at four, 4 degrees or at 23 degrees because we cannot we cannot afford having the uh, the cold temperature of a space because it would freeze absolutely everything including the electronics so we depend on these uh, active heaters throughout the the whole the whole little spacecraft actually uh, either to keep the fluids uh, in liquid form not frozen uh, to keep the biology happy and allow it to grow. Uh, and everything that, that we're trying to do, uh, it, it actually allows us to monitor how the cells are doing, either maintaining them at the right temperature 
or how we read the biology. Uh, what that means is after we inject uh, the liquid, these nutrients uh, uh, carrying the, this, this color dye, uh, we had to monitor that. And the way we do that is with LED lights. So we have different LED lights that allow us to check growth. Uh, so just looking at, at what is called the turbidity or, or how many cells are blocking the light path. So that allows you to calculate uh, how many cells are growing and how fast. And then we also have a couple of LED lights that are specific to measure the uh, this, this metabolic dye and the different colors. So now we can actually use all that data uh, to estimate how long it's taking for the cells to grow, how long it's taking for the cells to potentially repair that damage, and how long it's taking for the cells to change the color of that dye, again, uh, across the entire mission. So which is, we're expecting uh, different uh, growth rates or different changes of color rates at the beginning of the mission and at the end of the mission. And of course, uh, we follow this with our ground control units. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, it sounds like there is a monitoring aspect to this. There is data. There is data flowing from um, you were when you were describing the CubeSat, uh, all the avionics and communications and, and the power box. There, that is is relaying the data that you need um, um, to the ground. Uh, so, so you know, give give me a, uh, give us an understanding of exactly what you are looking for. It sounds like it sounds like you are. Uh, what, what sorts of things are you measuring? It sounds like there's there's an aspect of light. So, uh, is there maybe spectroscopy that you're that you're looking at? Or um, uh, I think I think there are dosimeters on board, right? There has to be if you're if you're measuring the radiation environment. Uh, tell me what, what's some of the data that you have flowing from the CubeSat down to the scientists on the ground. Right. So you you have everything that comes from the from the spacecraft, from the bus, and uh, I won't get into details because I'm not an expert whatsoever on, <laughs> You're the on scientist, engineering. Yeah. So, uh, but we do get a lot of data from the spacecraft and, and that's to, to check that all the subsystems within the spacecraft per se are actually working properly. Uh, then from the scientific data, you're absolutely right. We actually get uh, two, two sets of data, uh, primary sets of data. One of them is the spectroscopy data. You got absolutely right again. Uh, that's the, the data that comes with this uh, uh, spectroscopy or absorbance or optical density. So these are just numbers that uh, are trying to provide us with information of um, how the cell is responding to radiation using these, these LED lights. The other set of data comes from the dosimeters. It's only one, uh, the spectrometer. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, and this one is actually a lot of data because it it characterizes the whole uh, like a big spectrum of of type of particles. So and everything uh, gets uh, downlink or sent back to Earth using the uh, the DSN, the Deep Space Network. Uh, and uh, once the data is down at, at Ames, uh, we get the uh, the data as binary uh, binary data binary code that gets transformed into a usable data for us. And then we hold, we, do hold, we go to the entire process at our uh, SOC or Science Operations Center that is also located at NASA Ames. Okay, all right, so you, that's, and that is going to be, you know, from, from the time of Artemis launch, you said uh, around 12 months, around a year. Uh, so, so really over the next year, over 2022 into 2023, you are going to be in data collection mode. Um, and, and looking at some of the things is is that is that a fair characterization of what what's what's on your calendar for for at least the next year? 
I'll tell you what is my calendar in a, in a couple of weeks. We are flying uh, to ISS uh, on the 21st, uh, which mm -hmm. is our, I will talk right about that a little bit later. Uh, the, the way it's going to work is um, we actually get data at every single pass, uh, every single time that we are able to uh, communicate with the spacecraft, uh, with the CubeSat, we'll get data uh, down leak to air that gets uh, processed and sent to the SOC, uh, the Science Operations Center, and to the science team, which is pretty uh, interconnected. And then we actually start processing the data pretty much uh, as soon as we get it, because we need to understand what's going on. Uh, do we need to make any potential changes? Uh, for example, uh, let's say our biology is doing better or worse depending on the what we get from the data. So we might decide to activate different fluidic cards at different time points, and, and we had that capability uh, within this particular CubeSat. And, and then uh, we continue the mission. And, and the nominal mission is actually six months uh, with a potential extension uh, if the, uh, the data that we're getting is successful. Uh, and then we, uh, at the end of mission, we do the whole uh, archiving. Okay. All right. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. You got the command capabilities. You can make some subtle tweaks, but really, it, yeah, you, you're it's a your mission is is to gather the science, and you were alluding Sergio to to another key aspect of this, right? We're talking about BioSentinel, and that's going to deep space. Um, part of the investigation is to characterize the radiation environment of deep space and see what's happening to the yeast. Um, that is not the only location that you are measuring that, and that is for I'm I'm I'm, I'm guessing a, a very specific purpose. You alluded to the International Space Station as another place where yeast is going to uh, be sent, and you're going to do some sort of similar things in a in a different radiation environment, and that is on board the International Space Station. So, so what's that experiment going up here? Uh, at, at least at the time of this recording, going up very shortly on uh, CRS twenty four. Uh, that is correct. So. Uh, we actually have four uh, identical units uh, from the perspective of the 4U biosensor uh, box, the, the, the smaller enclosure. We have the one, uh, the free flyer, which is the deep space uh, satellite. We have its ground control, which is going to be run at Ames. We have our ISS uh, microgravity control that is at a low radiation environment, like you mentioned. And then we have also the ground control for the ISS. We are flying uh, uh, on the 24th, and, and we are activating the first set of fluidic cards uh, early in January on 2022. And uh, why is it important to have all of these uh, components in different places? How does that help you to understand and characterize um, the radiation environment, what's happening to the yeast, um, versus just picking one location and sticking with that? One of the uh, the main issues that we have had for many years is uh, we have not had the capability of measuring uh, biological response to many factors in a space. What has been done many times is we actually expose biology in a space and then we bring it back to, to the ground and then conduct some experiments. And we do this by playing with temperatures, by freezing the samples, or by using what is called uh, fixatives. We just fix them uh, in time and then bring them back to Earth. Uh, this particular mission, uh, Biocentria, allows us to look at uh, in situ in, in real time, meaning we can see the actual response uh, to radiation in uh, in a space and, and get the data back. Um, for the ISS, uh, we we know that uh, reduced gravity, in this case microgravity, can have some effects on biology, uh, potentially on the DNA repair pathways uh, of yeast, how they repair this damage, how they respond to the microgravity environment. 
So having this microgravity control with a lower radiation environment compared to deep space allows us to look at that particular aspect of the mission, just separating high, uh, high uh, energy or, or deep space radiation to uh, lower orbit inside the, uh, the ISS. And then, of course, you have the ground control units that have uh, none, none of that radiation effect, and they are uh, at one gravity, although we actually mount the ground control units on what we call a rotisserie instrument. It's pretty much a, a rotisserie that allows you to rotate uh, back and forward, not a full rotation, just going one way and then the other. Uh, and that's just to prevent the, the yeast cells to sediment. You know, these yeast cells are bigger than bacteria, so they tend to to go down by gravity over time. So this instrument just rotates uh, to prevent that and, and give us an idea of, of what the response on the ground to compare to both ISS and uh, deep space. Okay. All right. Yeah. Having that's very, very important. Thank you, Sergio. Um, lots of exciting stuff coming up. We're in the, it seems like the, the, really the home stretch here. We got, we got, uh, experiments going on the international space station very shortly. Um, and, and there's, and there's this experiment going on the first, uh, Artemis mission, Artemis mission around the moon, Artemis one, uh, and uh, coming up very, very shortly, uh, for that one specifically, for that CubeSat going up on Artemis One, we're in the final home stretch. As I'm saying, what what do you have left to do? What are some of the final steps you have before it's integrated on on this uh, on this stage of of uh, the vehicle and ready to go? We uh, delivered the uh, the spacecraft, the the free flight CubeSat, uh, in I. I recall early October, early September, late September, it was integrated uh, not that long ago. We are really just waiting for uh, the SLS <laughs> folks to to put Orion on top and and, and, and we are ready on, on our side. Uh, we know that we're waiting for uh, that launch in, in hopefully in the next uh, few months. Uh, for the most part, we're just, uh, we continue our work at, at Ames preparing for the ISS mission, uh, preparing our ground control uh, operation center, mission operations. Uh, but most importantly, from the science perspective, we are uh, still uh, going through the optical data, this, this spectrometry data, uh, because uh, many of the experiments that we do uh, on the ground, if not most of the experiments we do on the ground with radiation, are using uh, what is called acute radiation, meaning we deliver the dose pretty much very fast, and we do this at, uh, using gamma radiation or X-rays or even uh, high-energy particles at, for example, Brookhaven National Laboratory. Uh, these are accelerated uh, ionizing particles. Uh, however, uh, in a space, in reality, everything is done uh, in a chronic way. So we, we deliver that same dose over the course of a month or weeks or multiple months. Uh, so we're still trying to understand uh, what we're going to see. So we're trying to fine tune, uh, really fine tune how we analyze that data trying to get uh, the optical data processing, the different protocols and procedures. So when we actually start getting from data from flight, we're kind of ready to respond if, if changes need to be made. Uh, so so that's that's what we uh, are investing a lot of our time uh, nowadays. Okay, yeah, just really gearing up to make sure that you are set to go for when this thing launches. I mean, overall, though, b because of the, this timeline, how are you feeling? Do you feel, I mean, it seems like you got a couple of things to wrap up, but... Do you feel? Do you feel good? Do you feel excited? Nervous about you know? You know you have all this. Your investigation, which you've been working for for years on, is 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 about to launch. 
Uh, I, I mean, since the since the time since the one time I heard Deep Space, I, I, I was in love with this mission. I'm talking about when I was hired in in, in twenty uh, early twenty fourteen. Having working for years on this mission, we uh, we believe we're ready to go. Although you're never ready until you actually start getting your data, <laughs> um, and, and that's the one advantage of flying perhaps uh, the ISS mission first because it's a more uh, benign environment uh, and because of the system for. Uh, checking the biology for reading the the response uh, is 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 identical. We'll get perhaps trained uh, uh, during that ISS experiment, and and I believe that will help us a lot uh, to to fine tune to get ready for the actual deep space mission uh, a couple months later. That's right, and that's and that's like you're saying the exciting part, right? Is the is the deep deep space aspect and. That's the era that we're entering into now. Um, we got, you know, Ar- Artemis. The Artemis program is is returning humans, but we also have this wonderful capability of of continuing science or, or restarting, I guess, science out in in deep space. You said this is the first uh, biology experiment in deep space since the Apollo era. That's a long, long time. I mean, what excites you just in general about the Artemis program and what it offers uh, from a scientific perspective? Just, just the fact uh, that a biology mission is part of the first Artemis One rocket is just fantastic. You know, I kudos to all the our folks at, at AES and NASA, NASA Ames and NASA headquarters uh, that that push for this mission uh, uh, because uh, it, it's it's just good to have biology in there. One one out of ten, uh, but I, I think the odds are, are much better for the next generation of of, of missions going into Artemis. Uh, we are, uh, as a separate project, we're also working on uh, trying to get us on the surface of the moon, uh, also as part of the Artemis uh, program, but but in, in a future mission, and and using this very similar hardware. So it's it's just uh, perhaps the continuity or or the continuum that allows us to have not just missions in lower orbit, but now start exploring into deep space. Uh, we are limited, of course, on what we can fly nowadays. You know, we're talking about microorganisms, even though you would love to fly something even closer to humans, perhaps even like what is called tissue culture, human cells. Uh, but we're not ready yet. Uh, it's just because uh, the conditions of this particular flight, uh, you have to, I told you we have had the the CubeSat already installed for, for months now. Uh, you cannot do that yet with some other organisms, but we hope that uh, the more and more missions, biological missions we fly using uh, 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 platforms like CubeSats, perhaps we will be uh, ready to uh, do like what is called late loads, uh, being able to put your biology right before launch, which will open uh, to many, many other investigations, not just Gs, but many other organisms and, and getting closer to uh, to what future will be for us, you know, in, in 10, 20, 30 years, and we can actually go farther away than the moon. Yeah, it sounds like you're excited for for the possibilities, right? That this is the beginning, and that the, the continuity of this is really opening up something that we're just at the beginning. And and you're already, it sounds like Sergio, you're already excited about what's possible in the future, and and that excites me. Um, that that this is kicking off a new era to get to get scientists excited about about deep space research and and uh, and science. It's it's a fascinating time that we're a part of. Sergio Santa Maria, thank you so much for coming on History of a Podcast. It has been a pleasure to, to get to know this experiment a little bit more, and I wish you and your team the best of luck on the International Space Station and Artemis experiments. Uh, lots of great data that we're going to learn about biology and, and DNA repair and 
um, all very critical for continuing human spaceflight, uh, particularly in deep space. So appreciate the work that you're doing, and thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be with you, and, and uh, uh, we'll be in touch, I'm pretty sure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, of course. Take care. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I really enjoyed the conversation with Sergio today. It seemed like he was pretty excited about the possibilities that Artemis is offering us. So I hope you got excited too, and I hope you learned something about uh, deep space biology. If you want to learn more about the Artemis program or what's happening on that or the International Space Station as well, visit nasa.gov for the latest. You can also visit Ames Research Center page to learn more about the stuff they have going on there. We're one of many NASA podcasts across the agency. Check us all out at nasa.gov slash podcasts. That's where you can find our full collection of episodes to listen to in no particular order. If you want to talk to us, we're on social media. We're on the Johnson Space Center pages, to be precise, of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or maybe ask a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston Wave a Podcast. This episode was recorded on December 14th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Heidi Lavelle, Belinda Polito, Nicole Rose, Rachel Berry, and Gina Figliosi. And of course, thanks again to Sergio Santamaria for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.